Thank you, Tierra. Thank you, Georgette. Plenty of room. Amen? Yes. We quoted this text last week, but it's worth repeating again. But to those who received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name. John chapter 1, verse 12. Friends, there's room in the family of God. <laughs> and it's not by what we can do, but what Jesus has already done. Yeah. So welcome to the family of God. Uh, Alicia, Rocio, good to see you. Welcome to the family of God. We're going to study today. We're starting a new series today. Um, DNA of Discipleship. DNA of Discipleship, Commission and Call. Now, I'm not a biologist. I'm not a physician. Um, I guess in my high school days, I was a little bit of a nerd when it came to the sciences. But uh, DNA, deoxyribonucleic acid, am I saying that right? <laughs> it's, it's that stuff that life is made of. It's that genetic information that actually gives instruction to all living organisms of how they develop and how they function. It's the stuff that the naked eye can't see, but without it, life would be impossible. In fact, DNA, this uh, acronym, has become so much a part of our lingo that, uh, that we kind of use it, you know, a group or an organization might say of itself, yeah, that is in our DNA, right? And they're using it metaphorically to say that that's part of who we are. That's part of our core DNA of discipleship. The very core and essence of things, DNA undergirds all the outward expressions and manifestations that we see on the surface. So this series that we're launching into, when we're calling it DNA of discipleship, we can understand that in two ways. One, discipleship is the DNA of the, very, of the, of the Church of Christ. Okay? Discipleship is at the very basis, it's the core of why we do what we do. Everything we see God's people doing outwardly, all the expressions we see on the surface are at root based on the value of discipleship. Do you follow me today, yes or no? If you don't, it's okay, we're going to study about it. So, <laughs> just kind of want to set this up. We're talking about DNA of discipleship, but we're also looking at discipleship and its DNA. What are the building blocks of discipleship altogether, because this phrase is something that we are aware of. It's something that we kind of throw around. But what does it really mean to be disciples? What does it really mean to make disciples? Today we're going to launch into this, because this is a very important question. It's the core of who we ought to be. Why? Because it was the very core of who Jesus was. I want to pray together before we study. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, as we launch into this new series as we launch into this, this study, this teaching, Father, we're praying for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit. You know the weaknesses of our own hearts and minds and how our thoughts are here and there, but we ask that just now you would speak to us, that we would know you personally, that we would discover your will individually, that we would hear what your word is calling us to today. So please, give us focus, give us clarity of thought, but not just for information's sake, God, for transformation's sake. This is why we're praying this. In Jesus' name, let the family say, amen, amen. All right, you have your Bibles? I want to turn to a very familiar passage, Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, and this is where we're going to begin our study of discipleship. We're going to be covering this theme over the next 
several weeks, even into October. But Matthew chapter 28, just kind of setting up the big picture. DNA needs to be, or excuse me, discipleship needs to be important to us because it was the very thing that Jesus came to live and do. Matthew chapter 28. When you're there, say amen. Amen. All right, we're going to start in verse 16. We're going to start in verse 16 all the way through 20. Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. And I'm reading from the New King James Version. The Bible says, The eleven disciples went away into Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Okay, this is the resurrected Christ. He has overcome the grave. Nothing can hold him down. And he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And then in verse 19, out of the outflow of his authority, he is now going to charge and commission his followers. In verse 19 and 20, he gets very specific. He says, go therefore, and what are the next few words in your version? Okay, your Bible might say, make disciples. Does anybody else's version say something different? Make followers. Okay, yours says, teach all nations. Okay, so here, this disciple, uh, this term of discipleship, it involves an educational process. It involves a learning process. Some versions, like the King James, says, teach all nations. And it says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. When the resurrected Christ, in his full power and authority, decided to give us instructions, decided to give his people things to focus on, what precisely did he encourage us or instruct us, charge us, to zero in on. What do you see there in Matthew 28, specifically verse 19? What are we called to do? Go, okay? Go and teach all nations. Now what's interesting is that uh, sometimes I've asked myself, you know, what, what did Jesus really come to do? You know, why did, what did Jesus invest himself to do? What was the work that Jesus came to do? When when he hung upon Calvary in John chapter 19, verse 30, and he says, it is finished, what is the it? What what was Jesus coming to do? He was coming to give his life as a ransom for many, right? There are certain verses like Matthew 20, verse 28. it, It says, you know, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, right? This is what Jesus came to do. He came to give himself, yes, upon the cross. But very interestingly, when he is praying before the cross, in John chapter 17, verse 4, in John chapter 17, verse 4, he says, I have finished the work you have given me to do. Wait a minute. I thought he said it is finished two chapters later in John chapter 19, right? Upon the cross, when he gave himself as a ransom for many. When Jesus is praying in John 17, he says, I have finished the work you have given me to do, what work was he talking about? If you read that whole chapter where Jesus is praying, who is he praying for? The bulk of that prayer, he is praying for his disciples, not just his 12, but the disciples that they would make. 
In other words, when Jesus said, I have finished the work, he was talking about giving glory to the Father by giving himself to his disciples. So Jesus came not just to give himself for the ultimate and cosmic price of salvation, but he came to give himself to people. Let's let's let our teeth sink into this a little bit. I'll say it again. He, He gave himself to us. And specifically, he gave himself in the training and development of disciples. Because if Jesus' work was solely just to die upon a cross, Jesus' life could have been lived all to himself, right? He could have lived a sinless life, just kind of said hi to people, bye to people, and things like that, and then waited for the right time to die on the cross. But that's not what Jesus invested three and a half years doing. He invested three and a half years of his blood, sweat, and tears in training disciples. Do you notice that it's important to Jesus to make disciples? Is it? Yes or no? (laughs) In fact, it is so important that he gave himself to it. He gave himself to it, and when at the end of Matthew chapter 28, he's saying, hey, now I have all authority. Have a nice life. No. He says, now I have all authority, and so go do what I just did. Not die upon Calvary. He already did that. That's something that only he could do. But now he's calling us to do what he did. In other words, if his gift was not just dying upon Calvary, if his gift was actually training people, discipling people, now he's saying, don't just be a recipient of that gift, be a reproducer of that gift. And so Jesus says, go make disciples. Or some versions say, go teach all nations. And actually, at this point, we should probably make a distinction here, because we see that term teach come up again in verse 20, right? It says, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. What's interesting is that when you look at the original Greek, what, what we see at the beginning of verse 19, where the King James says teach, or as other versions say, make disciples, that word is mathetuo. Oh boy, I'm, I'm probably hacking this. I haven't, haven't been in a classroom in a while. Anyway, so the Greek word is mathetuo, which means make disciples. In verse 20, when it says teach, the word is didasko, like be didactic, set up a classroom, teach. And so what we see in verse 19 and in verse 20 is actually two different forms of learning. One is a relational, contextual form of learning where you you have a a pupil and you're actually developing this individual to be like you. And part of that process, apparently, according to the rest of verse 19 and 20, is baptize and teach. Are we following this today? Yes or no? Yeah? Okay. So what Jesus is truly saying is not just click a button and let all the information that you know be imported into the brain of the other person. Okay? That is not what he's talking about. He's not talking about information transmission. When he says, go, therefore, and methetuo, he's not just saying, teach them everything you know. He's saying, make them into a person that I have made you. Make them a disciple. So here, when you look at verse 19, those are the two commands. Go and make disciples. The other actions that are involved in that are baptize and teach. But the specific commands, the specific imperatives, the instructions are to go and make disciples. 
The reason why I think this is important to distinguish is because sometimes we confuse our mission. Sometimes we confuse our mission to simply be about teaching, to simply be about setting up a classroom, and once they get it, we're done. But that's not the that's not the picture of making a disciple. Do you follow me today, yes or no? That's the picture of teach in verse 20, which is a part of the bigger picture of making disciples. Uh, let, let's try another application. Sometimes we think that once they're committed to baptism, boom, they're done. We've fulfilled our commission. But I would suggest that according to verse 20, or excuse me, 19, baptizing is only a part of the bigger picture of making disciples. Are we following this today? Okay, let me know, okay? Because all this stuff has been cogitating in my, my mind all week long, actually for the last six months, and I'm just trying to find words for it. Okay, picture a tree, picture a tree. I'm not a tree, but I'll pretend, okay? <laughs> picture a tree, you've got a trunk and its branches, right? If a church were a tree, we've got lots of outward manifestations our worship services, our prayer meetings, our small groups, our Sabbath schools, our pathfinders, our, our this, our that. You know, we've got all of these things that are great. But friends, these are branches from a greater trunk. We've got our prophecy seminars and our Bible studies and this and that, evangelism, worship, etc., etc. The trouble is sometimes we get confused by turning branches into trunks. Truth be told, according to Matthew 19 and 20, baptizing and teaching, these are great things. They're branches that come from a greater trunk of going to make disciples. But this term discipleship has often been relegated to a branch. We say, okay, our main mission, let's get people in, and let's then, then we'll make them disciples. So it's getting them here, that's the, tr that's the trunk, and then making them disciples is, is part of that process later on. No, 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 no. Discipleship is the, big, it's the big picture. It is the trunk, and out of that grows the other manifestations. Did I just totally muddy up the waters there? <laughs> Last week, I was commissioned to go shop at Costco. <laughs> and I, it was Friday afternoon, so I was in the mode of being efficient, okay? I wanted, to, I wanted to do a lot and get a lot done in a short amount of time. But you know there's a difference between being efficient and effective, right? I wanted to be efficient. I had a goal. It was about 4.45, and I said, okay, if I sneak in before 5, at least it'll be a little bit less crowded at Costco, right? Friday afternoon, right? So, okay, I can do this, I can do this. My goal when I got out of the driveway, I was like, I can be back in half an hour. I can do this, okay? <laughs> what, what's so funny about that? My shopping list was only three things long, okay? <laughs> Debbie texted me, uh, can, you, can you give me this, this, this? It's like, perfect, I got it, here we go. I left the house with my phone charged, or being charged. I said, okay, I'm glad I checked that text message before I left because she added bananas on that one. Okay, so here I go, I'm gonna be efficient. I come back with the three things by 5.10. I was so proud of myself. 25 minutes later, I'm, I got time to vacuum. All right, here we go. But then I checked my phone, and Debbie had just sent another text message right after I went out the door. Uh, could you get frozen blueberries, orange, et cetera, you know? All this stuff, my heart was shot. <laughs> I was a little bit deflated. I was efficient that day but I wasn't necessarily effective. 
In other words, we can be busy doing lots of things and doing them in a short amount of time and doing them well, but if we're not doing the right things well, we're not being effective. Let's take this to the church. We can be doing a lot of things. A lot of things, right? We can be doing a lot of things, but if we're not doing the right things, we're only being efficient and not effective. So we need to settle this. We need to settle this. The trajectory of what I sense God wanting to just remind us about, yes, it might be elementary, but it's necessary. Discipleship is the main thing. I had a professor who shared a very profound thing. Keep the main thing, the main thing. Okay? It was a preaching class. He said, just keep the main thing, the main thing. The truth is that we can get so busy doing lots of things that we forget what the main thing is. And in the process of doing church, Sorry if that, that kind of, I don't mean to diminish the things that we do as a church, but in the process of doing church, discipleship is an afterthought when it truly is the very thing we are about. In other words, it's the DNA. It underlies, it's the genetic information that instructs how we develop and function. Every outward expression of what we do as a church ought to be because we are making disciples. Yes, let's have great Bible studies. But let's have great Bible studies in order to make disciples. Yes, let's hold prophecy seminars. But let's have prophecy seminars, not just to bring people in, but so that we can make disciples. Let's have great fellowship lunches. (laughs) Let's have great socials. Let's have an awesome retreat but let's do this because we are making disciples. Once we turn that trunk into a branch, we have left the Magna Carta, so to speak, the great charter that God has given his church. Do we follow today now? Yeah? Okay, now, uh, let me just say one quick thing, because um, a concern kind of rises up when we start focusing on discipleship. uh, Some... There are times where I wonder, and maybe I'm the only one, but there are times where I wonder about focusing so much on discipleship that we actually forget our prophetic mission and identity as a Seventh-day Adventist movement. Okay, maybe I'm introducing a question that I've only asked. (laughs) But here's the truth. When we look at the three angels' messages of Revelation chapter 14, that is the script of the Seventh-day Adventist church. Do you understand that? If you don't, then let me, let me develop a sermon series so that we can discuss that together. <laughs> but Revelation 14 describes three angels' messages, and this is the whole purpose for the Seventh-day Adventist movement's existence. We are to proclaim this message to every kindred, nation, tongue, and people. Amen! Amen. But notice that the end product of those messages is in chapter 14, verse 12. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. In other words, the end product, the whole purpose, everything that those three angels' messages are driving to are producing disciples who are so faithful that they keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus that they're prepared to stand before the great day of God. Okay? So really, the three angels' messages, it's a call to make disciples in the context of the end of time. Do you follow that today? Yeah? So, when we're talking about discipleship, this is essentially what we exist for, and we in Revelation 14, 
have it with a prophetic edge, so to speak. Okay, all right, so now let's go back. We're going back to Matthew chapter 28. And the Bible says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, and baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The people that Jesus are, is talking to here, according to this context, who is Jesus commissioning to make disciples? His followers, right? You just look a few verses earlier, verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed them. Okay, so here are the eleven people that have been. Uh, it's not twelve because Judas by this time has kind of taken his own track. Okay, the eleven disciples. In other words, the ones that are being told to make disciples have first been made disciples. Do you follow that? Amen. Okay, so here it is. This commission is to do for others what Jesus had already done for them. The twelve were only able to accept this commission to make disciples because they had answered the call to be disciples first. So if we as a church, we say, yeah, hey, these are great instructions. We need to go make disciples. Friends, the only way we can possibly fulfill this call, excuse me, this commission, is by first answering the call to be disciples. Okay, And so the trajectory of this sermon series, the DNA of discipleship, from here on, the trajectory is simply this. We're going to eventually learn how to make disciples. But before we get there, we must understand what it means to be disciples. Okay, So let's start at the beginning. And we're going to the beginning of the Gospel of Mark, which should just be on the very next page. All right? Mark chapter 1, and today we're just going to be kind of talking about the first building block, the first building block of what it is to be a disciple. In Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 16, just a few lines here that we're going to launch from. Mark chapter 1, verse 16, if you found it, say, I found it. Okay, Mark chapter 1, verse 16, the Bible says, and as he, speaking of Jesus, as Jesus walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. So go ahead, start playing the movie in your minds. <laughs> it's a picturesque scene. It's a lake. It, there, it, maybe the lake has got a few, few bubbles, few uh, waves of wake there. And here Jesus walks up to the shore. He finds some fishermen, Simon and his brother Andrew, and in verse 17, the Bible says, Then Jesus said to them, Follow who? Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. All right. When we talk about this first building block, the call of discipleship, let's understand, let's just kind of break this down. Three things that we need to know what this call is about, okay? First thing, the call is about Christ. Write it down if you're taking notes. Number one, the call is about Christ. Just, just notice the emphasis of his words. Very simple invitation. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. When Jesus comes and gives this call of discipleship, it's all about him. <laughs> it's all about Jesus in other words, he is the one who is calling us. This call to discipleship isn't something that we invite ourselves to. Jesus invites us. 
Actually, in John chapter 15, verse 16, if you're writing down notes and verses, John 15, verse 16, Jesus reminds the disciples. He says, look, you did not choose me. I chose you. In other words, Jesus is the one that's walking up to the shore. Simon and Andrew, they didn't. <laughs> Jesus comes to them and gives them the call. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So first, the call is about Christ. We are called by Jesus himself. And I would also say that we are called to Jesus himself. When we realize that the call to discipleship is about Christ, we realize that, that really we, we haven't been called to just a teaching. We haven't been called to a way of life. We have been called to the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. So we have been called by Jesus himself. We have been called to Jesus himself. All right, so first, the call is about who? It's about Christ. Okay, I'm, I'm actually using the word Christ just because it starts with the letter C and everything else after that starts with the letter C, okay? Just a little preview. Okay, so number one, the call is about Christ. Number two, the call is about connection. The call is about connection. Notice this in verse 17, it says, Then Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Verse 19, when he had gone a little farther from there, he saw James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, who were also in the boat mending their nets, and immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went after him. So the call to discipleship, one, it is about Christ. Follow me, Jesus says. Two, it's about connection. It's about connection. In other words, the call to discipleship is a relational thing. It's a relational thing. When Jesus calls him, us to himself, he's actually calling us to a relationship with himself. Hold your place here in Mark chapter 1 and go to Mark chapter 3. Go to Mark chapter 3. In Mark chapter 3, he's actually appointing all 12 of the disciples, kind of in an official sense, okay? Mark chapter 3, and I want to go to verse 13. Starting in verse 13, uh, we'll also read verse 14. Okay, if you're there, say amen. Okay. And he, Jesus, went up on the mountain and called to him those he himself... What's the next word in your Bible? Do you love that? Yes or no? In other words, Jesus, when he chooses us, it's not because someone twisted his arm into it. <laughs> it's because he wanted us. Okay. So, Jesus calls us to himself, he says, and they came to him in verse 13. Verse 14, then he appointed twelve that they might be, what are the next two words? With him, and that he might send them out to preach. I want us to zero in on verse 14. Then he appointed twelve that they might be with him. In other words, when Jesus called his disciples, he first called them to be with him. A lot of times we think of the call to disciples as a call to do something. It's not primarily utilitarian. The call to discipleship is primarily relational. Jesus is calling us to be connected. Jesus is calling us to be with him. And as a result, sure, there will be preaching. There will be teaching. There will be doing this and doing that. So Jesus' call to discipleship first is about Christ. Second, it's about connection. Connection primarily with him. But I would also say this, connection with others. When Jesus called Simon and Andrew, he called them together. And they hung out with him, yes, but by hanging out with Jesus, they had to hang out with each other. Did you notice that? 
In fact, just a few minutes later, uh, just further down the shore, he calls James and John. James and John, they end up following Jesus. By virtue of that, they end up hanging out with Simon and Andrew. Do you realize that the, the, the closer people come to Jesus, the closer they end up coming to each other? And so the call to discipleship is about Christ, and it is about connection first with Jesus, but also with each other. And this is something that we're going to get to in a few weeks, uh, just when we talk about the communal dynamic of discipleship. But I just want us to, to figure this out, that when we're called to be disciples, we're not called to be lone rangers. In other words, when Jesus called the 12 disciples, he didn't just say, okay, uh, Matthew, you're a tax collector. I'm going to hang out with you on Tuesdays. Okay. And then Simon the Zealot, you really don't like tax collectors. <laughs> I'm going to hang out with you on Wednesdays. No, 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 no. When Jesus called people to follow him, he also called them to community. Amen? Okay. So when we follow Jesus, expect that your relationships just might be challenged but it's for the sake of reflecting the glory of Christ in community. Okay. So, the call to discipleship is about Christ. The call to discipleship is about connection. Third thing, the call to discipleship is about consecration. The call to discipleship is about consecration. Go back to Mark chapter 1. In Mark chapter 1, you know, we, we just kind of breeze over this because it's such a familiar story. It's such a familiar passage. But in verse 17... You know, after Jesus gives the call, verse 18 demonstrates the response. And that response is an immediate response. That response is the only appropriate response. I'll read it again, verse 18. Mark chapter 1, verse 18, the Bible says, They immediately left their nets and followed him. What would have happened if they decided to hang on to their nets? Would they have been able to follow Jesus? Do you realize that radical attachment to Jesus requires radical detachment from any competition? <laughs> because when you play the game, follow the leader, how many leaders are there? Exactly. No man can serve two masters. Either you love the one and hate the other, or hate the one and love the other. So here's Jesus. He makes the call, and it's about himself. He's calling people to himself. He's calling people by himself. It's about the Christ, it's about connection, and it's about consecration. When I say consecration, that means complete and absolute dedication. Saying, all right, Jesus, you've got the green light. No one else does. All right, Jesus, I'm holding on, not just with one hand, but with both. The disciples made that happen. They realized what their hands were hanging on to and said, ah, I'll drop this here. Jesus is worth it all. And it wasn't just Simon and Andrew, it was also James and John, verse 20, and immediately he called them and they left, they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went after him. So the call. Before we can talk about the commission, we've got to understand the call. The call to discipleship is A, about Christ. It's B, about connection. It's C, about consecration. Friends, the simple question is, do you want to answer the call? <laughs> when Jesus walks up to the shore of your life, and he says, follow me, and he is, by the way, don't, don't think that this is just for these 12 guys back in the day. No, no, no. 
Jesus walks to everyone's shore. Last week we read this in in Revelation chapter 3. He is knocking on the heart door. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, that is the call. When Jesus walks up to the shore, he's calling us to himself. He's calling us to connection. He's calling us to consecration. And so will we accept the call, the call that's by Jesus and to Jesus? Will we accept the call, the call to truly be connected to Jesus? Will we accept the call, the call to be truly consecrated to Jesus? This is just the the basic building block. I know uh, in, in some level and fashion this might seem, like I said, elementary, but it's absolutely necessary. Because if we try to be a disciple without first even hearing and answering this call, Friends, we're just fooling ourselves. We're just fooling ourselves. So this is first base, so to speak. Next week, we're going to be talking about second, third, and home, okay? But this call, this call to Christ, friends, maybe, maybe you've misplaced your focus. Maybe you've misplaced your focus on what you've been called to. And if that's the case, then this week, this week, I would just encourage you to take heart-searching time to reevaluate that practice, to reevaluate that position, that belief that you have kind of made your God. And instead, recalibrate that practice, recalibrate that belief to demonstrate and point you to the one who is God. In other words, you know, like, we, we've been hearing so much about this or that. Uh, we might kind of emphasize this teaching and that teaching, but really, if, if that teaching doesn't lead you to love and trust Jesus more, then it's really getting in the way. <laughs> Does that make sense today? I don't know, maybe, maybe for some of you, you needed to be reminded that, wait, the call to discipleship isn't a call to this way or this teaching or this truth. It's, it's actually a call to the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. The call to connection. Maybe some of us, maybe some of us have been running on the fumes of a past connection with Jesus. And I would just encourage you that this week, rekindle. Rekindle your connection to be with Jesus. What Jesus primarily wants you for is for relationship. Not just so he can use you. He wants you to be connected to him. Okay? So take time. Maybe, it's, maybe that's where you're at this week. And you need to step back and say, look, I just want time with Jesus. <laughs> so you're going to carve that out this week. Maybe for some of you, it's, it's not the call that's about Christ. It's not the call that's about connection. Maybe for some of you, you need to be reminded that this call is about consecration. Maybe if you were to evaluate the things in your life, you realize that there are nets that you have not let go. Are there? <laughs> are there nets that are holding you back from truly following after Jesus? Because nets can trip you up. Nets can tangle you up. Nets can remind you of your past and what you used to find satisfaction in. Friends, these nets need to be let go. In order to radically attach ourselves to Jesus, we must be committed to detach ourselves from any competition. And so maybe this week you need to reevaluate what your nets are (laughs) to pray for surrender this week. Okay? So friends, how many of you, with all this in mind, desire to answer the call of the disciple-maker. Amen. Praise the Lord. I tell you, the results of this will redefine your identity. (laughs) 
The results of this will redefine who you are. Yes, you, you might be a, a teacher, you might be a doctor, you might be a, a pastor, you might be a mother, you might be a father, you might be this or that, but ultimately you are a disciple. That's who you are when you follow the call to follow him. <laughs> Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father in heaven, I want to thank you so much for the privilege of just kind of getting back to the basics. Uh, Lord, we realize that there are some things that in the process of uh, progressing here or there, or growing here or there, we kind of forget how it all begins. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would ba- take us back to square one, that for each of us, uh, we would hear your call. God, please forgive us for the ways in which we have fallen short. Forgive us for the ways in which we have taken these things for granted. Forgive us for the ways in which we have followed other things besides you. And Lord, we pray that as we answer this call, you would redefine who we are. Thank you, God, for, uh, for the fact that we get to live this journey with you, that you're patient with the process. <laughs> we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Friends.